Welcome to episode 83 of the Swamp Flicks podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. And I'm James Cohn. And we are recording in James's apartment in Mid-City, New Orleans. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks. What have you been watching lately, James? So this past week, I've really gotten in to this director, Adrian Lin. And it kind of all started, I watched Fatal Attraction for the first time in a long time, which is awesome. That's not a name I know immediately. If you just said Adrian Lin, I wouldn't be able to pick out who that is. Well, right. So I, I watched that one, and then it had recommended, oh, if you like Fatal Attraction, watch Indecent Proposal. So I watched Indecent Proposal, and I really, really liked it too. And then um, I noticed, like, wait, these were directed by the same person. And then when I looked at his filmography, it's very much that, like, William Friedkin, Workman-like thing where you go through all his movies and you're like, holy shit, he's made some like really big name pictures that I've never, but I've never heard of this director's name. Or like Richard Donner who did like Superman and the Goonies and Lady Hawk and like all these like famous like eighties films and oh, none of them have anything to do with each other. And I did, I actually watched, uh, rewatched Lady Hawk a couple nights ago. I love the sequences of the animals just galloping to synth music. I can watch that all day. Well, and what <laughs> what's so funny too is like like reading reviews at the time, I think people really hated that score. They're like, why is this medieval fantasy having like cheesy 80s synth? I love it. Oh, it's perfect. It's, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it actually got me into um God, who is I'm trying to think who did the uh the score for that it's not tangerine dream is it no, no they didn't legend I, I can't remember off the top of my head god i actually started um listening to some of his his music alan parsons project oh okay is that proggy <laughs> yeah yeah and i my mom was really into them growing up and i was always the cheesiest shit ever <laughs> they did that song like i in the sky waiting for you <laughs> i don't know anyway i love that score so Going back to how you yeah. started, like Fatal Attraction, I know that's in that Michael Douglas like erotic thriller subset. Right. So I get that one in Basic Instinct mixed up all the time. Is this the one with Glenn Close in it, or is with it Glenn Close? Okay, yeah, that one's yeah. really good. Adrian Lin directed Flashdance, Nine and a Half Weeks. I watched all these in the past week. I pretty much <laughs> went on a huge Adrian Lin kick, and then Fatal Attraction, Jacob's Ladder, which is kind of outside of that. You know, more in the horror genre, but it's really good. I haven't seen that one yet. Uh, Indecent Proposal, which I loved. Lolita, the, re- the 90s one. With Jeremy Irons. Yeah, okay. Which is good. Uh, Unfaithful, the Richard Gere. I don't recognize that one. Oh, really? That yeah. That's a really good So he's done, like, all these, like, back-to-back, like, really big hits, but never heard of this guy before. So I- I'm definitely a huge fan. Okay, so when we did the Freakin' episodes, we were, like, having a hard time pinpointing like what makes him an auteur besides like a negative worldview that carries over in all of his movies. That's the thing with these kind of directors. It's not a particular style. They just like get the job done for whatever the work kind of calls for. I mean, I would say definitely has a good sense of melodrama. That's why indecent proposal is one of my favorites from him. Cause it's so over the top with that, like almost like Douglas Cirque kind of, melodrama but just taken to like a pretty ridiculous level where it's almost satire like it's definitely kind of making fun of the genre a little bit but um 
And that movie is a lot of fun. All all his stuff is like really really good. Well, Cirque also has that like extremely artificial visual style as well, where it's like a heightened like fantasy world almost. Yeah. Does this guy have any like visual flair to his stuff, or is it just like eighties? Is his visual style it just looks like eighties like erotic? See, it movies. switches between movies. So like Jacob's Ladder is this really like trippy hallucinogenic kind of experience. And then Edison proposal is shot and it's very soft and the strings and everything. And then fatal attraction is more like this very tense kind of, so it, it really switches between films. I have a hard time pinpointing one particular style of his, but no, I'm definitely a huge fan. I, I think most people have seen like at least half of those Movies. Yeah, I've seen way more of those than I thought I would. Yeah, just not aware of of who he is. But yeah, Adrian Lin. That's check out his stuff. Okay, um, that's what, yeah. So I've been kind of going through all that in the last week or so. Yeah. What, what about you? I've been watching a lot the last couple of weeks, uh, but the, like two kind of stand out to me just because they're very out there and they're both total messes. And I really liked one and really did not like the other. First of all, I took the trek out to Shamet movies to watch. Under the Silver Lake on the big screen. How was that? I did not enjoy it. Really? <laughs> it's like the steepest drop-off in quality from a director between two films for me. Like, he did... It Follows, That was right? his first feature. Yeah. I think his name is David Robert Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And Under the Silver Lake is kind of like his Richard Kelly, like, Southland Tales type movie, where it's, like, tons of ideas all thrown at the screen, and it's very, like, fantasy-driven. Mm-hmm. And it did not click with me at all. But... Everyone I follow online, like on Letterboxd and stuff like that, loves this movie. The the vibe I kind of got from it, and tell me if I'm wrong. Have you seen Inherent Vice? Yeah, I haven't seen that. Oh. It, it didn't seem like something I would enjoy. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just sort of this like detective that's super stoned and kind of paranoid and bumbling through this investigation. He meets like all these different characters, and it's kind of conspiratorial, like this loose plot where you don't quite know what's going on yeah it's intentionally messy and like meaningless in that way in this case it's andrew garfield he plays this like loser guy in la he's kind of this like hipster asshole and he reeks every time he walks in the room other characters are like god what's that smell <laughs> and it reminded me a lot of body double more than any other movie like it's throwing back to this like noir type movie that like never really existed. It's this like heightened Hitchcock kind of thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, they even go to Hitchcock's grave in the film, and oh, every yeah. shit hole apartment they go to has like old movie posters on the wall. And I think the first line of dialogue references Turner Classic Movies. It's so over the top mm-hmm. how often they reference that that it's almost like self parody in that way. But it doesn't feel at all like noir films. It feels like body double. It's, it's this guy who's just sort of bumbling around and he's really bad at trailing people and he's like erotically obsessed with these like women who he stares at. There's a lot of like close-ups on like bikini-clad asses and like mm-hmm. women take their tops off and mount him while he's like trying to like grill them for information on this like missing girl case that he's on. And he ends up getting into this like vast conspiratorial network that like runs the entertainment industry and is putting secret messages in mm-hmm. all of our entertainment media. And... I kind of like the idea that him chasing this mystery is like ultimately meaningless. Like all the clues and stuff he puts together seems like he's actually getting towards his like grand truth. And the movie just sort of like trolls you with that. None of it adds up to anything on purpose. And it's supposed to like make it seem like it was almost like a waste of time to 
try to uncover a great truth about life. Because that information, if there are like power structures that are like secretly running things, that information is not for us and we can't even tap into it no matter how hard we mm-hmm. try. So I like the idea of that, but it's just so far removed from anything genuine and it's so like ironic, I guess. Yeah. For it to feel more like a De Palma film than a Hitchcock movie, like it's already like twice removed from the original genuine product. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And like Body Double as you know, cheesy eighties, like erotica as it is, it still has this like kind of weird kinky undertone to it. It's kind of like a, like a weirdly sexual film mm-hmm. and the sexuality and under the silver Lake is so generic. Like it's like playboy magazine sexuality. It's like a trip to Hooters, you know, like right. it's very like tits and ass just leering. And there's just nothing particularly exciting about it in any way. And maybe that's a parody on like how uninteresting this like loser guy protagonist is but it's so hard to care about anything you're watching after a while. I think you should watch in Harem Vice because everything you're saying about it is exactly how I felt about that. Why would like, I want to watch that again though? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Cause I actually, at least in Harem Vice, it gives you this feeling of if you're like really, like really stoned and you feel like you figured out some grand truth about the universe. And then when you sober up, you realize it didn't make, a damn bit of sense. And you can't really even remember Yeah, what that kind of fogginess is like all over that movie. And I think it perfectly encapsulates that, but that does involve a level of irony and detachment, which makes it hard to like fully engage with as a film. Yeah. Especially, I think both of those films are like really long too. Like this one's like two and a half hours. I think Inherent Vice was long as well. I mean, I think that's part of the style Ugh. of these. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> It's one of those, like, I get what it is and, like, what it's trying to say, maybe, but when there's nothing sincere about it and it's totally removed from any true, like, emotional connection, then it can be hard, especially when it's, like, like you said, two and a half hours long. And it's very philosophically minded, I guess. That's, like, something they share as well. Definitely. Yeah, and that doesn't really interest me after a while, especially if the sex is going to be vanilla. Like, if what, if what you're offering me is, like, you know, weird compulsory like sex investigations yeah uh make me a little bit of kink something yeah i mean yeah it just feels like warmed over leftovers from like a trip to hooters like there's like really nothing left in it that's enticing at least like because it follows had a really good visual sense like is it at least visually interesting no it's very jokey like hollywood old hollywood throwback stuff you know in the classic noir sense they show him like staring out the window um, in the middle of the day and you know, the blinds cut those like parallel lines across him and the guy who did the electronic like atmospheric score for it follows uh, disaster piece. Mm-hmm. He also did the score for this and this time it's this very overbearing old Hollywood orchestra type score. Um, so it's, it's just all very jokey. There's like nothing really sincere going on in it at all. I feel like that's become a trope like with the new Quentin Tarantino coming out to this like reliving the old glory days of you know, old Hollywood. Yeah. I feel like hail Caesar was really the only one that I loved that one. Yeah. was the only one that knocked it out the park. I have a hard time. Like, well, that one's a little nostalgia. more genuine too. Like when they like restage these grand, like, you know, musical numbers or like old Westerns, they right. really commit into like the visual pleasures of that. Yeah, exactly. Here. It's all very like detached and, um, mm. that's, that's kind of ironic. Disappointing. Yeah. 
I, I don't know. I, a lot of people see like a Southland Tales type thing here and I kind of get it because there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's, you know, more effort than it's worth ultimately, especially uh, since I drove out to go see it on the big screen when it was released on VOD anyway. I, I don't totally regret the experience, but I, I don't think it's a good movie. <laughs> so what was the other one? Uh, I watched this movie on Amazon Prime called Braid. And this makes no goddamn sense at all, but I kind of liked it. I, I saw the trailer for it. You did? So I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So these two girls are like drug dealers, right? Mm-hmm. And the cops are after them. So they go back to their friend's childhood home. Their friend is rich and crazy. And she's stuck in this game that she's playing of like make-believe. It's like basically like playing house. And when they were kids, they had the same three recurring roles. The uh, crazy friend who's Madeline Brewer from Cam, Mm -hmm. uh, she plays the mommy and one of them plays doctor who's like kind of a male persona and the other one plays daughter who dresses up in like a schoolgirl outfit and they're all in their like late 20s, early 30s now and they slip right back into these roles like to hide out in this house from the cops. They have to play make believe while they're there. They're trying to steal the inheritance money from the crazy friend. But also the games get increasingly dangerous. Uh, they often slip into like kinky torture porn type scenarios. We're going to be hmm. talking a lot about torture porn today. And this movie is fucking crazy. There's a lot of psychedelic drug intake in it. The plot makes no goddamn sense. And there's no way where it could land anywhere solid. Like there's no possible satisfying ending because it pulls the rug from under you so many times. It keeps right. changing the rules of like what you're watching. But it's so fun. It's got this thing that like first time directors always do where they throw way too many ideas at the screen and they try to show off in every single shot. So the camera's always like handheld and moving and like there's all this color correction stuff and it's just really like warped. And I had so much fun watching it. Hmm. Opposite effect on Letterboxd though. Everyone I follow who's seen it hates it. So um, I don't know. I want to see it. I'm just off rhythm. (laughs) Uh, The upside to it as well is that it's only like 80 minutes and it's on Amazon Prime. So... A lot less uh, investment to check it out. I love when you're talking about like first time directors or someone finally gets like a big budget and they throw everything they have at the screen. Like I'll never make a movie again. This is like my one shot. Yeah. I mean, and I, I love that. It's just, I wonder sometimes it seems to fall flat and other times it's amazing or something like Southland Tales, which is objectively insane. It makes no sense, but it's a cult classic or should be. I think you can say that about Another Silver Lake as well. Like that one feels like somebody who was given a big budget after making this weird little arty horror film and was yeah. like, okay, I want to make something really weird and off putting with that money. So I respect that from like a, you know, intellectual distance. But after watching, I was like, maybe I don't like messy, you know, kitchen sink type movies anymore. Like, why, why isn't this not clicking with me? And then I watched this really feminine, like horror film, mm-hmm. psychedelic mess that, you know, basically just three people in a mansion losing their goddamn minds. And I was like, Oh, okay. I do like this kind of stuff. That movie was just boring. Um, so definitely watch braid. If you're going to watch one of those two movies. That's yeah. I, I definitely <laughs> want to check that out. That sounds great. And there is a lot of torture porn for like a good stretch of the film. Um, and today we are talking about torture porn, not a genre that, people usually call out films that they like in. Like if you like these movies, you usually don't call them you, torture porn. Yeah. Or you keep it secret. That yeah. You do. <laughs> but I, I guess my like question when we were coming up with titles for this is like, what is good torture porn? Like what is torture porn that you enjoy? And that's, that's what we were kind of building this around. Yeah. And we'll delve into that. Yeah. And all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. 
The three of us were talking last night. We realized we might have given you the wrong idea about our club. You see, our club is not about beautiful women and drugs. No, those are byproducts. Byproducts of a singular focus. You see, the Cryptea produces the best. Each and every member dominates his field. Advertising, tech, finance. So if you pledge today, yes, they're going to be beautiful women and lots of parties. But more importantly, you're going to have a future so fucking bright that you're going to need sunglasses every time you look in the mirror. And now it's time for our movie of the minute. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. And I wanted to watch something that I saw this year that has gotten kind of middling reviews, but kind of struck me as an interesting subversion of its genre. Of the three movies we're going to be talking about today, this is the most pure, like, torture porn film, I think. And I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I just sort of brought up to Brittany, and then she watched it and enjoyed it as well. So I was kind of curious what your take would be. Yeah. It's called Pledge. Uh, it's on Hulu right now, if you wanted to um, check it out for yourself. And it's a pretty standard premise at this point, because there were two movies called Goat and Burning Sands that came out a few years ago. They did the same thing where it's like, you know, frat boys in pledge week, they're rushing for a pledge and they get hazed. Right. And that hazing, you know, crosses a line where it stops being like mild bullying and actually turns into like torture. Um, And all three of those movies kind of do that. But I feel like this one really jumps the shark where it's like full on like torture porn horror. What really struck me about it and what's I think makes it a little different than the other two is you meet these three nerds who were pledging for Rush Week. It reminded me a lot of LSU, by the way. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you and I went, you and I met at college, uh, at like a very fratty college. Mm-hmm. And we used to go to parties where people would walk up to me specifically and say, I do not like you. You need to leave. <laughs> and you would have to leave with me. I think it was those sideburns. Dude. Yeah. I had really nasty chops uh, back then. And that's kind of how this movie starts. These like three nerds are going to these frat parties. Just rejected at every party. It's so a lot of cringe uh, interactions. They like smell it on them as soon as they walk in. Like you're weird. You need to go and get kicked out of every frat they try to pledge. And on one hand, they're pretty gross in a way that I remember being gross around that time. Like they really want to get laid in that like sort of like fratty college humor kind of thing. Yeah. But they're also kind of these like genuine harmless nerds Mm -hmm. who are just lonely and desperate for like social activity. Yeah. They make references to like, Oh, I guess we're going to go get drunk in the dorm room and play video games all night, which we've done, which we did a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And also they just have this kind of like cute rapport. I like their interactions. I thought it felt really genuine the way they were kind of talking over each other. It didn't really feel like, dialogue written in a script it just felt like three friends kind of hanging out yeah and they say just kind of like oddly written things too like day drink boys day drinking like they're not like tough guy assholes really they just like have never had sexual interactions with people before and they're like over eager to get that started in a really gross way yeah and they're and they are socially inept oh they're terrible at talking to people yeah yeah which i identify with still (laughs) so that's one thing that makes it interesting to me, especially since it's a Kickstarter-funded film. So this is a crowdfunded movie that I think the character work is like unusually well-written for something like that. Mm-hmm. And the gore effects, once it really gets going, I think are unusually well done for a, a Kickstarter-funded movie. 
Eventually, they go to this frat that accepts them a little too eagerly, and it's like really creepy. It's isolated off of campus. There's girls just willing to make out and mount them. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out that the frat they're you know pledging to may not even be part of the university. They make allusions to being like hundreds of years old, which is like way older than the college they're attending. And the boys are so desperate for socializing that they stay way longer than they should. Like the very first hazing activity, they don't even build up to this. The very first one is they get branded uh, with an iron straight out of the fire. Which again, I know that some frats at LSU did that too. So that that felt grounded in reality, which I do think is one of the more interesting aspects you talk about. When does it go from regular hazing to torture? Well, I mean, branding seems like torture to me, but there's plenty of frats that do that exact thing. I think the second one is they blend up rats and then feed the kids chummed up that, rats. That scene was pretty messed up. I think that's the hardest to watch part of the movie because they're retching and puking up this like pink goop that you have seen get made in the kitchen. It's literally just rat parts blended up in a blender. Which is interesting. Something like that, you know, it's not actually violent. Like no one's getting their limbs cut off or tortured in like a physical way, but it's still just like makes you feel sick to your stomach. It was like very effective. The way it was shot too, of just like cutting to the guy putting whatever in the blender, all these dead rats and who knows yeah. what, I, and then cutting to them eating it. And it gradually escalates there for like full on murder. <laughs> like yeah. from, from there, it kind of gets, you know, more and more exponentially like violent to the point where it's like, Okay, obviously you should have left days ago. There's something not right here. But they keep trying to rationalize it. Like, oh, all these guys have been through this before. This is just them seeing if we're tough enough to stick it out. And one or two dissenters will be like, we have to go. This is really dangerous. Well, then there's that mindset, too, of like, well, we've already gone this far. I'm not going to turn back now. Right. And I thought that was just so sad. Like, after watching these kids just sort of be like regular nerds who had no place socially in this college to put up with this much pain and torment just to be accepted by like a group of people. Like I found that really grim. Yeah. And that's actually what I liked most about the movie was, but besides the fact that it's just a well-made thrilling tight, it's like a really tight movie too. It's, it's short, it's quick to the point. No, again, like having come from LSU and there was a case recently of, and there's been so many cases of kids like dying of alcohol poisoning because they play these, or they they had a kid die when we were there from like drinking too much water and they wouldn't let him urinate. And so this stuff is like real. It happens all over the country. And again, there is a sadness to it where these kids are so desperate to be a part of a frat or some community that they're going to put themselves through this willingly. And again, like that's what the movie kind of touches on and like how far are you willing to go to feel accepted? So yeah, there, there was something to that that I thought was pretty important. And another part of that too, is like the kids who are doing the torturing are part of this like grander conspiratorial network. I don't want to give too much of this away. Cause it's kind of like a newer film. So mm-hmm. I guess spoiling the end would be kind of like not yeah. useful, but it is kind of important to note that, you know, they have this like greater network behind them and they can get away with stuff like this. And I think like the main like rabble rousers name is Maxwell Peterson. The third, like he's like this rich asshole from like an eighties comedy with right. coiffed hair. And like, 
he's just a little dipshit and he can do whatever he wants. And there's this like wealthy network of like businessmen behind him that will clean up whatever mess he makes in this frat house and he can get away with it. So that feels real too, in some way. Yeah. Um, even though the movie does eventually go some like very unreal, ridiculous places as its premise gets more exponentially ridiculous. I'm glad it went to that level. Yeah. That's kind of what made it for it would, if it would have stayed just kind of, at a certain level, it would have been one thing, but it does ratchet up the craziness towards the end. And we talked about that with um, Truth or Dare and with um, recently Escape Room. Sca- which I, I liked both of those a lot. Yeah, like if you're going to have this like ridiculous like gimmick premise, just push it and push it and push it till it ends at its most like exponentially ridiculous point. Yeah. Uh, and this one d- follows that pattern, I would say. Okay, so this is a pretty standard torture porn movie set in a frat set in a frat house that's like a you know pledge week torture sesh what did you think of it just like as a film like is this something you would recommend or is it something you would slot out if someone didn't recommend it to you no like i said i think the characters were actually had depth which is saying a lot for this kind of movie i thought it was very competently made i thought it looked good i didn't know it was a kickstarter Thing. I could tell it was kind of low budget, but it was shot well. It had, I don't know, a good rhythm to it. And the the gore and the thrills were like very good and standard for this type of thing. And again, like the idea of the, the frat culture, there's a lot there to kind of where a torture porn movie makes sense. Yeah, so It's not torture porn for the sake of torture. It's like getting at something else, which I, I don't know. I'm sure we need to like get into what makes a good torture porn film, but Mm -hmm. like that feels like part of it. Like the torture is getting at something bigger than just, I don't know, like the saw movies and stuff. it's torture for torture sake. Yeah. A lot of those like hostile saw, hostile Eli Roth films, they were like kind of justified after the fact saying like that was during the war on terror and we were using torture tactics at the time to like get information and like America was like concerned with that. I don't know if that's justified by the text. That seems just like projecting like it's at least subliminal. If, if it's there, it's subliminal. Yeah. Um, I think the movies we pick today are so far outside that style of movie. I don't think that's a particular era. We like hold in high regard no. that like sickly fluorescent lighting. And like what I usually hate about those is they're usually filled with these like stock teen characters that I do not care about at all or actively hate. So like when they're getting tortured, like you're supposed to almost find pleasure in these yeah. kids getting their comeuppance where in this case, I kind of like these kids and I kind of like don't want them to have to go through this. So yeah. it makes it more like excruciating to watch it happen. I, you know, I think that's a really good point too. All the other two movies we're going to talk about today too, I think have that they have a protagonist that you care about on some level and don't want to see them go through this. Whereas, yeah. And in, in some of these other ones, it's those same tropes of the dumb teenagers that are unlikable. And then, yeah, you're kind of reveling in them being tortured for our pleasure. So there's a different dynamic and it's partly on the audience. Like what are they getting out of this experience? So, yeah, I think that's important to point out too, but I really like this movie. I probably wouldn't tell people it's torture porn. <laughs> it's, I would just you say you kind of have good, to prepare them for it, though. I think it's better not to. I, oh shit! I feel like there's a stigma behind like, oh, you should check out this torture porn. Right. Like that term is like really—it's an insult. Yeah, inherently, yeah. 
So, yeah, this has elements of torture. I would just say it's a really well done horror movie, but yeah. it's it's torture porn. <laughs> horror going to keep getting more graphic and violent? Yeah, probably. But once the torture porn genre got oversaturated and too many films like this came out that was just kill after kill, people got bored of it. So it's going to have to come back in such a way that people are going to want to watch it again. So either there's going to have to be a big societal shift or they're going to have to get super creative to get people back in the seats. The question we were asking is like, what's good torture porn? And you and I sort of picked these like movies that aren't like Pledge at all. They're more these like artsy fartsy European horror films. So maybe we're like sidestepping that like new dimension or dimension extreme. Was that the label that yeah. like early, late nineties, early two thousands American, like Eli Roth type film. Cause I, I mean, cause this movies suck. They're I not like, good. I don't like those. <laughs> <laughs> they, I don't know. They, they might've be important in the conversation of like, kind of the evolution of this genre, but I don't want to go back and revisit. There's the movies we're going to talk about today took that genre to like new heights. The one I picked stuck out to me because I saw it on the big screen with a packed audience at New Orleans Film Fest in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, it ended up being one of Slump Flicks's like top films of the year that year as well. And you and I saw a film at that same venue in a similar vein, we saw human centipede two on the big screen uh-huh. and we had a lot of fun just cause it was so uncomfortable to squirm with all these like film fest, like artsy fartsy people <laughs> watching this like nasty as fuck, like torture film. Yeah. Um, this one's a little artier than human centipede two. Definitely. <laughs> uh, I picked good night mommy. It's an Austrian film. Um, another reason it's sort of been on my mind is the two filmmakers who made it also had a segment in that field guide to horror anthology film. I oh, talked yeah. about recently and they have a new film called The Lodge coming out soon. So mm. I kind of wanted to revisit this. I enjoyed it a lot on the big screen at the film festival. A lot of people have problems with where the story goes in a sort of twofold way. It starts off with this like atmospheric A24 style horror where these like two kids are suspicious that their mother is not their mother anymore. Um, she's wearing this like bandage over her face from plastic surgery. It's very like eyes without a face or the skin I live in. Yep. And they think that she's an imposter because she's treating them oddly. They just sort of had the roam of the land in this like Austrian wilderness, like isolated area. Uh, They live in this house that's very like Michael Haneke style set where it's very clinical and clean and like brightly lit. Um, Mm -hmm. But most of their time is spent in the woods, like poking at dead animals and having these like nightmares about their mom getting naked in the wilderness and like playing with these giant hissing beetles. That stuff's kind of gross and the nightmares get gross in that way. The problem that people had with the film is when it shifts from that into these two other things. One is this giant M. Night Shyamalan type twist, which I saw coming from like miles away, like in the first 10 minutes, and I wasn't bothered by it. I don't think the movie tries to hide it that much. Mm-mm. And the other was that when the kids are not getting their mom to admit that she's an imposter, they strap her down to the bed and torture her with super glue and scissors and magnifying glasses to like melt her face with the Mm -hmm. afternoon sun and just really gross out like torture porn sequences. And I I guess people didn't like that. It started this like atmospheric artsy place and then went to that, you know, saw hostile dimension extreme kind of like bullshit that we were just talking about, but it worked for me. 
I feel like that's the actual twist of this movie. That genre shift? The genre shift. Like, I don't think it's about the more obvious twist, uh, which I am ashamed to admit I did not see coming till pretty late in the movie. And I feel like that's bad on me as a... Because yeah. it's it watching it a second second time, it's pretty blatant and obvious. And again, I don't think they're trying to cover it up, or I don't think it's about that twist. I think the more interesting twist is like you're talking about in the beginning, the first like two thirds. It's kind of like a I don't know, like a we need to talk about Kevin sort of thing, and then yeah, it shifts into something much more violent and torture porn. And so that that to me was the most interesting part was you feel like you're I always love when films kind of pull you in and you think you're watching one type of thing and then you realize like, oh, wait, I'm watching a totally different genre of movie. And I feel like this pulls it off pretty well. And I liked both sequences of or both tones for what they were. Like, I thought the nightmare stuff was genuinely creepy, especially yeah. like the scene where they're standing over their mom sleeping and they're letting these giant cockroaches crawl into her mouth. Oh, God. Yeah. It's genuinely disturbing. But we've seen so many of those movies. I, I hate to keep coming back to this because it's a movie I actually like, but um, It Comes at Night was a film that disappointed a lot of people because it was all atmospheric stuff. Yeah. And it didn't have that like monster payoff people were looking for. And this one uses that atmosphere and that tension between these twin boys who are like, not confident about their mother's identity and then actually like pays it off with this like much nastier, more violent. Right. And you, you think it's going to be some kind of cerebral psychological twist or something at the end. It's much more just like primitive violent and it sort of defies expectations in that way. I do think it's beautifully shot. I mean, there's some really gorgeous cinematography in this movie. Uh, but then again, that shifts into like, some really hard to watch stuff with, with them using these like childlike instruments to torture their poor mother. And it, yeah, like it's super glue and magnifying glasses. It's almost like home alone or something. Like it's very like, yeah, common it's like household the, items. Yeah. It's like the, what they know, like, and it, it makes sense that that's what they would use, you know, but that last like 30 minutes or so is pretty, pretty rough. Some gruesome stuff. Yeah, it's almost like audition or something where like the first hour is one thing and then the last 30 minutes are torture porn. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what we were saying earlier about like Pledge, like them having like a theme to it where it wasn't just normal. It, it actually reminded me of Phoenix, uh, that movie you made me watch. Yeah. Uh, where like she's like, I'm your mom. I, you need to stop asking where your real mom is because it's me. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, well, my mom wouldn't act like this. And the theme that it shares with Phoenix is like, well, we've been through a traumatic experience before this, uh, this whole like drama started working out and I don't act the way I used to because things have changed and I'm not the same person anymore. Yeah. And I, I thought, um, there was some really good visual storytelling in good night, mommy, like in the actual house, there's all these pictures of her. Oh, I, I don't know if it's actually her, but of a woman like figure, but it's all blurred. blurred. Yeah. So it's like this ambiguous kind of identity that's present throughout the whole movie. And often characters will stand in front of their portraits right. and like mirror the exact body language of the portrait behind them. And it's really creepy. Or like symmetry. there's a great shot where the cameras focus on one twin and then the second twin just like takes a step. Like emerges like, from behind. Emerges them. from behind and stuff like that. That's kind of getting at the sort of the themes 
you're yeah. talking about. Well, did you enjoy the movie more after you already knew the twist? Like watching it a second time was it a better experience? Or yeah, it uh, was actually because I I don't know that's kind of the the downside to a twist like this where it can sometimes seem like the whole movie is about the twist. So if you're a little disappointed or you saw it coming, then you kind of judge the whole movie probably a little unfairly, but then watching it same time and kind of knowing where it's going and just going along for the ride and watching it the second time I paid more attention to like the visual storytelling uh, and just kind of the look of it. And it's, it's very well crafted and I like the, the sense of dread in the beginning and then it ratcheting up to this like ultra violent climax. Very squirmy. Yeah. Really <laughs> like, yeah, some of that was pretty hard to watch. And I think their new movie is also about a woman in this like isolated cabin with these two kids that she's like, has an antagonistic relationship with, hmm. uh, but it, the tone and the look of it's very different. So um, I'm very curious how that goes. Yeah, no, I, I, I really liked it. Well, what did you pick for us to watch today? I think, I don't know if we did an episode on, French new wave extremism. Well, we did martyrs, uh, right? That's the only time we've ever really talked about that new French extremity genre. I, I went through a phase where I really got into all the like high tension is a good one. Uh, them is really good. Martyrs. This is like an early two thousands, like digital cinema kind of vibe. Yeah. It's honestly, it's considered by a lot of people to be the like pinnacle of that new French extremity. Uh, and it's a movie that's like always stuck with me inside inside. Yeah. yeah. And it's such like a basic premise, a woman who, uh, is in a pretty horrific car accident and loses her husband. She's pregnant and it's Christmas Eve and the baby's gonna come like any day. And so she's just like at home alone on Christmas Eve and the next day she's going to go to the hospital to like induce labor. And, you know, she's obviously like still recovering from the accident and from losing her husband. And she's just alone on Christmas and she gets a ring at the doorbell. And it's a mysterious woman who is hell bent on stealing her baby. That's like the basic setup from that point forward. It goes into some of the most, violent gruesome just blood soaked yeah i remember the opening credits were just like rivers of blood and gore washing across the screen and the credits were over that it's like okay well i guess i'm in for some like really nasty shit and it actually i mean it um lives up to those title credits yeah i mean also the title credits have they go back to this shot a few times throughout the film where it's an inside view of the baby that in stuff the was kind of corny. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I like it, but um, in the edited version for like American audiences that all that was removed. Interesting. Cause apparently test audiences didn't really have a problem with the gore, but they had a huge problem with the shots of the baby inside the womb getting rattled around. So that didn't disturb me. I mean, it, it disturbed me, but that wasn't like, Oh my God, they've crossed a line. It was just like, you know, 2007 indie budget CGI of this baby's like reaction shots. Yeah. So like if the belly gets bumped or like the lady gets shaken up, the baby has like a reaction shot. It's like, and it's like, like grimace or yeah, yeah. like tense up. 
And, you know, what that is is a threat of a miscarriage, which that tension really worked for me. Like, yeah. it's like, why is she not miscarrying? How is she holding this together? That Like, that tension really worked for me. But, like, I guess it was sort of the uh, call and response, like, tit for tat, like, reaction of the baby. You and know? then the mother. And then. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a little. A little corny. That's definitely the corniest aspect of this movie. Well, there's one more corny aspect as well, which kind of feeds into Goodnight Mommy, is that there's, like, a twist as to what the um, stranger's identity right. is. And she's only billed as the woman. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminded me a lot of The Strangers. Have you ever seen that film? Yeah. That movie's really fucked up. But yeah, I mean, this is like a home invasion. Um, another genre I don't usually like. Yeah, it's a mixture of like the home invasion, also like these kind of innate fears, I think, of motherhood. And then it's also like this torture porn, really over-the-top, grotesque violence yeah, and the thing it shares with the strangers is this lady is like lurking around in the apartment in the shadows and like emerges from these dark spaces, uh, which is really like really well done. The tension of that's really great, and also you do not know who she is or why she wants this what, baby, yeah, um, and why she wants to especially remove it from this woman with a pair of scissors and not just wait a day and steal it. But like it works for me better when you have no motivation for that and it's just the woman who wants the child. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if the twist worked for me especially well, but it really doesn't matter because like just the imagery of like a pair of scissors and a pregnant belly like clashing is very upsetting. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean that's what I really love about this movie is it's again it's just such basic fundamental stuff like what is horrifying? Horrifying is being pregnant and having a woman with scissors trying to rip your baby out of your womb. God. I mean, that's like, it doesn't really get any more primitive, like simple than that. And it takes that idea to such extreme, like almost operatic levels of violence. I mean, I don't know the exact number of people that get killed in this. It's like six or seven, but it is some really, really gruesome oh, yeah. stuff. I mean, heads getting completely blown off. You're getting stabbed in the knees. Oh, yeah, there's also this like Algerian riot outside or something. It's like hard to place the politics of that. Cause it's not really explained. And I guess if I was French, I would know the you know circumstances a little better. Um, yeah. I, th- I took that as more just kind of um, giving you some reason as to why the cops might be busy or the, her neighborhood might be deserted to kind of set up. Cause the stuff that happens in the house, like to think no one could hear that or see just rivers of blood. And um, the riot also gives excuses for other characters to come into the situation in, yeah. and then get, you know, destroyed uh, in these like, right. really gruesome ways. Yeah. So it's just trying, it's like giving a reason to justify this like big body count. But yeah, some of the, um, some of the stuff in here is just so, so brutal. And you can see how, the American release like leans into that. Um, if you look at the DVD copy I picked up from the library was like just dimension extreme brand. Mm-hmm. So it looks like a hostel or like a saw movie and it's this pregnant belly with like stitches across it. And this like pair of scissors. It's really gross. Like the, the French poster for it's actually kind of elegantly gory. Uh, and the American one is very like early two thousands torture porn. Yeah. So I could see how that fits in this genre, but this movie really is mostly a home invasion film. I want to know where it crosses over into torture porn for you. Like, where do you bring that descriptor to it? See, I, I don't actually know if I would call this torture porn. 
necessarily because okay, in good like Goodnight Mommy, for instance, she's like strapped down. Yeah, I feel like restraint is part of restraint. That. And this one, it's more just like really. I mean, it's just violent. And there, there's definitely a focus on like the details of gore. It's not like someone gets stabbed and died. They get killed slowly. And right. And you see it. Yeah. It, you, the camera never like pulls away. You see everything in like excruciating detail. I mean, it's torture in the sense. And what all these kind of movies have is like the protagonist goes through hell and they literally are like covered in blood by the end of the movie. And because it's such an exhausting experience to watch one of these films. You feel like you've gone along <laughs> the journey with the protagonist. So at the end, when she's like just covered head to toe and she's cut open and you feel like you can understand the character. So it's torture in that way. It's like torturous to watch. Yeah. There's some like surgical stuff towards the end that feels pretty in line with the genre, but it's not, you know, a lot of the saw and hostile and um, like you said, good night, mommy, the restraint, like, the actual like you're stuck in a chair and someone's like doing these things to you and you can't run. There was a segment where I think that applies here though. It's like, okay, they start off in the apartment is the arena and she doesn't really leave the apartment. She gets chased around by this woman and by getting chased, she gets in these like smaller and smaller spaces. Yeah. And then by the time she's locked in the bathroom, that's when it becomes almost like torture porn. Like the two of them are like stuck in this one space and she becomes more restrained to that like bathroom setting. Mm-hmm. And then she reaches out to open the door and gets her hand nailed to the wall with scissors. And she's restrained in that way. Like there's True. like a pretty good segment where she's like stuck to the wall and helpless watching other people die while she's like waiting to get rescued. Well, and I think that that's a good point. I mean, that might be the restraint we're talking about is just being stuck in your, Home, so maybe all home invasion thrillers have a touch of torture porn because you can't leave, and usually those have like a threat of sexual assault in them, which is what I don't like about the genre. Yeah, me neither. And there's a little bit of that in here, um, but not very much. I, I think it's it does get interesting a little at the very end, where they almost are bonded in this all this horrific brutality. Yeah. Um, when it comes time to actually give birth or however, however (laughs) you want to call that. that. (laughs) Um, That seems interesting. There seems to be a connection where she's kind of resigned to her fate. Yeah. She's exhausted all of their options. It's it's just kind of like going to happen. I'm like, all right, have it. But yeah, as far as like in this, the genre we're talking about, I think this one is one of my favorites because I think it's genuinely like scary. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And it's frightening in the way it deals with the, ugly details of violence and just kind of um, the shock factor. I mean, I know that's what a lot of these movies try to go for is just shocking you. And that's what stays in your memory. But this one, there's a few scenes like for instance, with the mother, when the protagonist mother shows up and she tries to rescue her daughter and something very tragic and horrible happens. Like that is genuinely shocking and oh, upsetting. Yeah. Which is a very martyrs thing as well. Like the movie teases these like plot twists that were you're more used to in the genre where you're like, oh that's their way out. That's right. how this is gonna She's be. She's gonna resolved. be safe. It's gonna be fine. It does not work out that way. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would say these these movies definitely all have like a negative worldview. Um like a, a a happy ending is kind of impossible in any of these scenarios. Yeah. I don't know. So what did you overall, like, how would you fit this in your... Um, I liked it. It's a very, like, cruel, disturbing 
traumatic watch, but not emptily so. Like there, there's like something to it where it feels like you're going through something. There's some kind of anxiety about motherhood in it. Mm-hmm. Definitely this one in Goodnight Mommy had a lot of overlap and themes in that way. It's like the horrors of motherhood and there's like a traumatic car accident in both films. Mm-hmm. Well, and the instrument, like the kids using these childlike instruments. And then in this one, it's they're using knitting needles and scissors and toaster, like kind of what you would think of like more feminine domesticated type of weapons. So yeah, there's a little bit of that in both of them too. And I didn't like martyrs as much as I liked this one. Cause martyrs has that segment that is like pure torture porn where like long stretch, like it's a good half hour. She's like in a dungeon and this person just comes in and beats her every day. And it's just grueling for no reason. Yeah. And I don't feel like this one does that. It's, it's a little more, it's a little more like straightforward thriller. Yeah. It's efficient. It's not trying to, I don't think it's, trying to be this philosophical exercise that martyrs is. And I do think it's interesting though. when we asked the question, like what is good torture porn? Like we both went to a very similar place. It's like these like very artsy fartsy, like horrors of motherhood uh, with these like dream sequences. They both have these like very Mm -hmm. expressive nightmare sequences. And I I do think, I mean, there's a few more artistic shots at the beginning, but once the action happens and inside, I do think there is something kind of beautiful about, how she's going through all this, all these people are dying. The house is getting there's blood smears everywhere. And then by the end, she's fully caked in blood. They've just all gone through hell. I don't know. There's something like abject and, but also like weirdly beautiful about some of those shots, which is what people were kind of pointing out about like saw and hostile. Like you were like pushing through this, like horrors of war thing to this, you know, further extreme. Yeah. Place, but those yeah. don't really reach that. And I, I think they're like exploitative in a way, like mm-hmm. sexually exploitative in a lot of ways too. Yeah. Martyrs had that too. That's, that, that's why I kind of like this one more. I like the sort of play on it where it's like two women kind of battling it out. And then all these men show up to try to like save her and they just get killed like <laughs> immediately. almost immediately. <laughs> like, no, this is between us kind of thing. And Goodnight Mommy's mostly a three hander. Like it's just this woman and her two children. There's like some guest stars for a minute, but they go away very quickly as well. Um, so there's no room for sexuality in that film either. Right. And then Pledge, the kids are horny as fuck and want to have sex, but the movie doesn't leer along with them. Like it's ultimately a movie about toxic masculinity and about like yeah, torturing I mean, for them by. I mean, they literally have like a sex slave. Yeah. So it's not sexy though. No, it's not sex. No. <laughs> I'm saying like, yeah, it's definitely about like toxic masculinity. I mean, it like uses that against them instead of like participating with them. Right. So I don't know. Maybe that's something that warms me up to these films, like more so than most of the genre is that it's not cool and it's not sexy. It's this disgusting, like torturous experience. Which is what it, what should it should be. be. Yeah. yeah. Pledge though. I think maybe what I found interesting about it is it's not, you know, a remove, where it's not like an artsy-fartsy European film with all these atmospheric nightmare sequences that can be expressive and poetic. It's more straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, and these two films, I feel like, are afforded that like air of like prestige. Yeah. Pledge is more like bare bones. Yeah, it's like a, ma- a mainstream... I don't, I'm kind of surprised it didn't go to theaters because I could see it doing pretty well. And it's kind of gotten like mostly negative reviews too, which I find kind of interesting because... 
yeah, I really connected with those characters in a way I didn't expect to. Maybe it's just because of the type of college experience I had. Yeah. Uh, I, I probably should have had the shit kicked out of me a couple times. <laughs> like, I did not like the person I was at that age. Yeah, I mean, the, the characters in Goodnight, Mommy, and Inside, I mean, you're with them because of what they're, like, going through. Not anything really specific about them yeah. as people. So that's one thing I think Pledge has up on the other two. So they all have their own like different take on it. But, but you and I have never been a pregnant woman before, so we might have a different experience. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I know I watched it with my girlfriend and she was completely horrified the entire time. Inside. Inside. Yeah. yeah fuck. <laughs> and I think one last thing I think that's interesting about uh, inside is how they make it clear that she's kind of doesn't want to be a mother that she's, Reluctant, she doesn't really want to have this kid. I mean, it's like her husband is dead, she's alone. They have a few lines of dialogue where they make it clear she's not thrilled about having this baby. But then when someone else tries to take it, this instinct kicks in of like, I'm gonna fight you to the death. And then again, that plays into that final scene where she's sort of resigned to her fate. Which is kind of frust- what's frustrating about Pledge is you're waiting for their survival instincts to kick in for them to like fight to leave yeah but instead they have this like social instinct that makes them want to stay and see it through and it's just so frustrating it's like you know this is not going to end well these are not normal frat guys you're dealing with you need to get the fuck they're out sadists. of there yeah. yeah and they stick it out because they're really desperate and that, that tension like really worked for me yeah um yeah i thought i thought all three of these were kind of the best that torture porn has to offer <laughs> if you want to put it that way yeah but okay like if you were going to describe these movies and not call it torture porn because that's an insult like what would you even say i don't have another word for it that's the kind of the problem yeah i mean that's kind of extreme horror doesn't really do it yeah you know like the french new extremity or, yeah i mean definitely calling i think extreme horror works but i think most people that are horror fans kind of know what that means and they know it means basically torture porn. So I think it's kind of synonymous. Yeah. Um, that term is here to stay. It's very descriptive at this point. Yeah. And it, it, I think it's just a shame that it is um, so wrapped up in the saw and the hostels. And if you weren't into those movies then you would be kind of weary about checking some of these out, but the genre does have more to offer. There is good torture porn. That's what we're reporting. I know. <laughs> There's at least three movies that fit that description. And it feels dirty to even say that because yeah. I, I don't like that term yeah. either, but it is it is what it is. Exactly. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about more horror coming up because I actually got press credentials for Overlook Film Fest, uh, which is next weekend. Yeah, um, I'm going to go to that. Hell yeah. What are you yeah. going to go see? I don't know. We're, uh, me and girlfriend are still trying to Fuck decide yes. what day we're going to go. Um, I'm going with CC. We're going to see a bunch of movies and... I might see you there. Yeah. We're going to try to cover a lot on the podcast. So next week, it'll be just me and Cece talking about what we caught. And the week after that, I'm sure I'll have more. And me and Brittany will do another horror episode uh, just to keep you know this vibe going. This podcast could very easily be a horror podcast year round. So a lot of what we touch on every now and then we dip into Christian movies for some reason, which is what happened last episode. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, so overlook film fest. If you're in new Orleans, it'll be the last weekend of may first weekend of June. It's like four days of just like horror films all in downtown new Orleans. Excited. 
go see some stuff. And go see some stuff that you know is not going to go into the theaters otherwise. Like, go see some smaller shit that's not going to play anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. was hiding my hand behind my face and wincing in real discomfort. Genuinely creepy, genuinely disturbing.